All right, we uh, are going to begin our series. We began our series last week looking at the book of Ephesians, and it is truly a beautiful, beautiful book. The introduction, there's so much in it. Uh, Anthony actually timed my message last week because he's recording them for us. said it was over 45 minutes long. I, that's hard to imagine, hard to believe, but I guess it is possible since he does have it recorded, all right? So I don't have much uh, room to gripe or much leeway there to get out of it, but there is so much there. And even after 45 minutes, we only made it through 14 verses, and, uh, and I could have gone much longer. There is truly so much here, but just a quick recap uh, we looked at th- big words like grace, like peace, and how Paul introduces to these believers. He says, grace to you, peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, during our discipleship time, Andrew looked at grace alone and what that looks like and tracing that back to the time of the Reformation in those five key points that the Reformers kind of brought forth saying this is sound doctrine and this is what distinguishes us from the false doctrine that was being preached. We also looked at uh, Soledale Gloria. I did that one from the pulpit, actually. And these first 14 verses, in particular, how they just scream that God truly gets all the glory for our salvation from the from the from before the foundation of the earth. Uh, we, we are saved. We're rescued. He does it all for us. It is not us and God working together to bring about our salvation, but it is purely God. And we kind of read over that a little bit. When we get to heaven, we don't high-five Jesus and say, hey, look what you and I did. We did a good job, didn't we? No, it's all to his glory. It is all to his praise. He gets all of it. And then in the great security that we have as we looked into this, if you go to uh, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So not only has he brought this salvation to be, but God preserves us for his own glory. As uh, Who was it at my table last week during discipleship? I believe it was Don at my table that played the bass for us last week. I always enjoy his, his presence, and he puts in some good comments. And even at the table, he said, if you look at this, it's really God's reputation that is at stake here. And he is saying, I am doing this, I am saving, I am preserving, you can trust me, I am God. And uh, it really is, it is all to his glory. Uh, Verse uh, 13, we see uh, how these people came to believe, the gospel was shared. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It is still our job, and God has ordained this process for us as believers not to hold on to the gospel and not to tell anyone else about it, but this is the means that he has given us to get the gospel out, to bring about salvation. Romans 1.16 says the power of God for salvation is the gospel, and that's what we have been blessed with, and that's what we are supposed to be proclaiming to others as well. As they hear the gospel, God regenerates them. He moves in them. He saves them. He rescues them. He redeems them. He adopts them and brings about this salvation. So how were they saved? Paul, he preached the gospel. They heard this gospel. God moved in them and sealed them with the promised Holy Spirit. So just beautiful passages here of God's sealing. We are his until we acquire the possession, verse 14, of our inheritance and just the rest and the assurance that we can have in knowing this that we are his 
He has sealed us. He has stamped us. And we cannot be lost. It's just beautiful, beautiful passages here. And this carries on. Uh, let's open up with our new passage for tonight, verse 15 through 23. I'll read it all together, then we'll break it down a little bit further. For this reason, starting in verse 15, Ephesians chapter 1, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray, then we'll look back over this. God, I pray that indeed you would open our eyes, open our hearts as we seek to know you in a better way through studying the word that you have revealed of yourself that describes you, that describes the process of salvation. And I pray that as we study it, God, that our eyes would be opened more and more and that our knowledge of you would be increased. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's look back here at verse 15. For this reason... Because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. If we look here at verse 15, uh, he's bragging on them. And this is quite the uh, opposite, right, of the way he opens up the book of Galatians. If we remember that, looking at the book of Galatians, that is quite the opposite here. He opens this book up by, by of course, bragging on God, sola deo gloria, to him, and him be the glory and him alone. But then he is so excited about them because he has heard. Now, we got to remember, he is in prison. He has not seen them in four years. He has been a long time away from them. But even through the gossip, that is good gossip, the news, the knowledge that is coming to him, it is all good things. That he is hearing of their faith, their love for God, and their love for all of the saints. Now, why is this important? That he is hearing of their love for God and the love for other saints, for other believers. If we remember uh, back in Mark 12, what, were the, the, what was the greatest commandment? What was the, the second greatest commandment? Does that ring a bell in any of your minds? Right? It is to love God and it is to love others. And so here he is saying that they, they are living as a Christian should. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. No PowerPoint, as you can see today. Uh, simply says this. Verse 30, I'll read. It says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second commandment, greatest commandment is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is what Jesus replied when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what he says, love God and love others. And here, what do we see in verse 15? We see that they are actually doing exactly that. They're loving God and they're loving others as well. 
And, uh, so the, and, and the question that this immediately poses to us is, is what about us? Uh, do we love God? And is that enough? Is that all we should do? Or should we also be loving our brothers and sisters as well? And sometimes we get these things out of place. Sometimes people only love other fellow humans, not in a romantic love, but we're talking about the phileo love, the brotherly love that is represented here. But also this, um, and then some people say, well, I love God, but I don't like people. And obviously that is not what is going on here in Ephesians, and that is not what Jesus has commanded us to do. He says, yes, love God, but also love the others as well. And uh, a lot of times we as Christians even have uh, somewhat of a tendency to only like those and be around those and desire to, 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 to love those who act and look like us, if you know what I mean. And uh, here in Ephesians, this is not the case. They're, they're welcoming all, they're loving all the other saints, all those who are believers also. And this is, this is one of the greatest tests that we have. People that often say they love God, uh, but don't like people, and you see them out and about. One of my mentors years ago he said, you can tell a lot about a pastor. We used to go out and eat with a lot of pastors. I was in, involved in another ministry. He said, I can tell immediately uh, everything I need to know about another pastor within the first few seconds of being at a restaurant. And this is something that, that he would kind of, kind of made me aware of. He said, notice how he treats uh, the wait staff. Notice how he treats the person waiting on him at the restaurant. And you'll be able to tell if he truly loves God and loves other people. And, and many times uh, the pastors were so welcoming, so loving to the waitress and, and to those waiting and to those who are in a servant role. And many times they were not because it really is a, an open test of our faith. Faith, if we love God, we will love others as well. Turn with me, hold your place there, but to 1 John chapter 4. Probably take you a moment to get there. Turn to your right small book in the Bible, 1 John chapter 4. And we see more on this love for each other. And, and as you turn there, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 through 21, we often think of passages like this, and, and in our minds we go to, yes, I'm loving God, and yes, I'm loving others, and how, do, how does the world see me at, a, at my workplace and, and where I go shop, etc. And, and that is included in this, but also to be thinking about spouse, also thinking about children, that our greatest test of how we love is when we're around those that we're around the most. It's not those that you're around for one hour a week. That's very easy to be, it's good, to, it's very easy to be good to your brothers here, to love your brothers here. Oh, would you like coffee first? Well, I certainly go ahead. You know, it's, it's very easy to be good and loving to your fellow Christians here. But it's those that we live with, those that we're around the most, when we're most often uh, tested, will we love because it's a commandment from God? Will we love our spouses because it's a commandment from God, not because we feel like it? Will we love our children because it's a commandment from God, not just based on feeling, right? So our, our family units, uh, I pray and hope, are held together based on more than just feeling, but it's based on being obedient to God. Here, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 through 21, uh, John speaks on this. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe 
that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we see, even within this passage here, and with Jesus being asked, what is the greatest commandment? He gives the greatest, and he gives the next two greatest commandment, that these Ephesians were doing exactly that. They truly loved God. And the more we know about God, and we'll be getting into this tonight and in the coming weeks, the more we learn of God, the more we learn of salvation, the more we learn of what we as humans actually deserve and the punishment we deserve for sin. But yet he gives us grace, unmerited favor. He makes peace for us that Jesus takes our pain, our torment, our what we deserve, our punishment, the wrath of God on himself on the cross. And we do nothing to deserve it. But yet he gives us his peace. He gives us his grace. So as John says here on the day of judgment, we have full confidence. There is no fear. There is absolutely nothing for us to fear that the day is coming. We will stand before God because it is love. It is pure love that he has for us. Not because, again, we deserve it, but because of our union with Christ. Christ was absolutely perfect. Christ did not sin. And on the cross, all those who trust in him... He takes their sin. He gives them his righteousness. So it is a pure union that we have of pure love, and we cannot lose that. So here in John and Ephesians as well, we see this love for God and love for others as well. All right, also here in verse 17, let me go on down here. Uh, verse 16, he is thanking God for them and uh, excited about them and can't stop thanking God for them. One of the, Speaking with ministers year after year, as I used to travel and even here, one of the greatest joys that we ever have is for actually a believer to continue in the faith and to continue to grow in the faith, to love God more and to love others more as well. So he's thanking God for them. Verse 17, let's look at that. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now look back at verse 17 here. Uh, what is Paul praying for? What does he pray for them to get? Does he pray for them to be rich and prosperous? You know, look at verse 17. Uh, does he pray for them to have more things? Does he pray for a bigger house, you know, a better car, not car, chariot, horse, donkey, whatever? Does he pray uh, even for their health? Does he say, hey, live long and prosper or anything like that here? Uh, does he pray for, what does he pray for? Of all the things that Paul could pray for them about, uh, he chooses to what? Look back over this. I, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, here it is, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. There is definitely something to be noted in this passage here, something that we should pray for, 
uh, when you're thinking about wonder what I should pray for today or, you know, God, thank you for the day. Thank you for our house. Thank you for our food. You know, sometimes as we pray with the kids, I keep it real simple like that. But oftentimes we get in a pattern of not thinking about greater things than just things. But these greater things that, that Paul speaks of here, that we need to increase in the knowledge of him. A very good prayer for all of us to pray, even tonight, even tomorrow, is God, may I have an increased knowledge and awareness of who you are. Because that, think about it, that when your knowledge of him increases, all your troubles in life get smaller. All your conflict in life gets smaller. As God increases in your mind and in your heart and the knowledge of him, you begin to get a better perspective of reality. And the more you understand uh, your position before him and how you're united with Christ as well. So this prayer that he prays, I've read over it many times probably as you have as we've been looking through Ephesians. But this week studying it verse by verse, I was really struck by 17. And what he prays for them is an increase in the knowledge of him. Uh, the better we know him, the the better our lives are going to be, the more glory we are going to get to God with our lives as well. And this is often understated in our times. If you really think about it, oftentimes the evangelistic movement of evangelicals, churches like, like, like ours, is, is getting people saved. And are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? And we put all our effort, all our energy, all of our money into salvation and getting this message to them, which getting the true gospel out to them is priceless, of course. But oftentimes we have dropped the ball there, left them. Are you saved? Yes. Okay, good. And we just move on. But that's not what we're supposed to do. If we think back to the Great Commission uh, it is, yes, proclaiming who Jesus is, proclaiming what he has done, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. That is the gospel, but it's not just stop there and move on, but is teaching them, discipling them, continuing to educate them so they can grow, so people can increase in the knowledge of who God is. And, it, and let me warn you on this also. One thing I've learned over the years is that I, I tend to want to learn a lot but my mind tends to forget a whole lot as well. And you never get to a place in your Christian walk where you can go, aha, now I know everything there is to know about the Bible. Now I know everything there is to know about God. By the time you get there, you've probably forgotten 90% of it, all right? So always be aware of that. This is a continuous, continual pursuit of increasing your knowledge of God. And you might say, I had someone, we did our Hebrew study a uh, few weeks back, of course. And I remember as I started that study, I had a man come up and said, oh, I studied Hebrews two years ago. I don't need that one anymore. But like, two years ago? Come on. I mean, that, that's a long time. I've already forgotten everything by then. So so understand this increasing in, not, in the knowledge of God is something we should pray for and it's something that we should continually pursue as well. How do we get to know God more? Well, you're doing it right now. We're sitting. We're talking about God's Word. We're studying God's Word. And if we don't study God's Word, Word, to, to get an increased knowledge of who he is, that what we often do is we define him in our own minds, and we create 
uh, false version of God, which is extremely dangerous to do. Uh, the first commandment is, no you shall have no gods before me. There's no idols, idols either. And we kind of combine these, when the, these two commandments, and we break them when we don't study God's word, when we don't see how he has revealed himself and defined himself, we kind of create in our own imagination a false god, uh, which turns into a false idol. So we have to be very careful about this. So increase in the knowledge of him. Pray for this and be actively pursuing it as well. We're going slow. i got to catch up here. Let's go to verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints. Verse 18, we see this word enlightened uh, used to be common to describe Christians as, as those who have been enlightened. It means illumined is what happens at salvation, that you go from being an object of God's wrath and a place of spiritual darkness, uh, spiritual death, where you cannot do anything. You're an object of his wrath. You are spiritually dead. You cannot even spiritually see to all of a sudden your eyes are opened and you're made aware and the light comes on and you see sin. You see the, God, his holiness, and you see salvation through Jesus Christ. And there's all of a sudden a light to the world that is different than you used to have. It is the light of this regeneration that is now within you. And to speak to someone who is not in the light about the light you now have is a very confusing thing for them. Because they don't get it at all. They're like, what are you talking about? But when you speak to other brothers, when you come to church and speak to other sisters about such things as we're studying, this is what we're supposed to do. There's this bonding because we are children of the light and we come together and our light is getting brighter, right? Then we leave here and we charge the darkness. But here he's, he lets us know this, that, that their eyes, their hearts have been enlightened. I'm just going to read a few cross references here and we see this mentioned many times in passages, but uh, John 3 3, if you're taking notes, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This has to do with that, that salvation that, that God bestows upon us, regenerates us, the light comes on, but we cannot see the kingdom of God. We're not even aware of it until this happens. So here we see that they're bo we are born from above, we're born again, and our eyes are open. We see the kingdom of God. John 12, 46 Jesus says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Again, they have been enlightened. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let, sh let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Again, we have been enlightened. Jesus is the light of the world. He turns us on spiritually. We are illumined now. And now we are supposed to go into this dark world and be a bright light. Um, let's go on down to this next passage here. Verse 19. And what is the measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Uh, this hope, th this inheritance, uh, th this power... As we think about this, look at verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness? Immeasurable. Uh, that, that is his power towards us, you and I. We're, we're talking about God. We're talking about the one 
who existed before anything. He has always been, always will be. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He spoke and created time. He spoke and put things in the sky. He spoke and created the earth. He spoke and created life. He spoke and created the, the animals in the sea, the animals in the sky. He spoke and created man. And that this God who has all power, who is omnipotent, has bestowed this power, this immeasurable greatness upon us who believe in him. And this is amazing to try to get your mind wrapped around that, that we have been rescued, we have been saved, and it is truly immeasurable. If you look back just a little bit, it says, what are the riches, in verse 18, of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That, that we have this wonderful inheritance and this wonderful richness about us because we have been rescued by the God of this universe. And not that we, we did anything to deserve it. And we get our, try to get our minds around grace as we looked at last week, as Andrew taught on as well. And it truly is this one word. It seems like if you can get your mind as a believer around what grace truly is, unmerited favor from God. It changes everything. Like you begin to realize it's not about what I did to get saved, deserve to be saved. It's not what I do to maintain my salvation, but it's grace. I was saved by grace. I am, my salvation is maintained by grace. And to wrap your mind around that, that you are actually righteous in the eyes of God. You will face Jesus Christ and you will get his record of living instead of yours. You'll be welcomed into heaven because you are seen as perfect not because you were here, but because Christ was. And it is truly amazing to wrap your mind around what is grace and the measurable richness that we have and that we will have one day in the future. So this, uh, this verse, well, let me, yeah, I've got enough time here. There's, I, I'm not one for many illustrations, as you well know, but I did, I did come across this when I was, I was studying my notes and it is studying some commentaries, but an old man and his son decide to go to several homes one night in order to witness to them about Jesus. Uh, they first went to, uh, to a bum on the street, and uh, the man and his grandson and his son uh, went to him, witnessed to the man, and things went well. Told him about the gospel. He uh, went to a man then down the road in the RV park and did the same. Uh, then finally, they stopped at a mansion on their way home, a true, glorious, huge mansion. Uh, there are four cars in the driveway, beautiful lawn, massive home on 10 acres of land, and much more. The boy turned to his granddad, feeling intimidated, and said, What kind of news do we have for a man like this? And the old man said, The news remains the same. Because truly, the gospel is beyond anything that we have here. Uh, the end result is the same for the bum as the person living in the RV park or the person living in the mansion. All people face death. All people face God, right? And that they, the, the greatness of the gospel is that you can be rescued by Jesus Christ. You get his record instead of yours, and this is the message that we carry. So it's the same exact message for the bum, for the man in the RV, or for the man in the mansion as well. Verse 19, let's carry this one on. Uh, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand 
in the heavenly places. All right. What this this is truly amazing as we look at it here that this same power that raises Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places is also uh, towards us, you and I, that we look back sometimes and think of Jesus rising from the dead, how wonderful this is, how momentous it is, how, how great it is. But verse 19 and 20, the very same power is towards us, it says in verse 19, that raised Christ from the dead. This very same spirit we have inside of us that is, is in Jesus Christ as well. And so we can rest in, we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are connected to Christ. Look at verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Let me read uh, Romans eight eleven to you. It says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So there is this great connectivity that we are Christ's. We are his. We see this in the opening of Ephesians, right? That he chose us, he, he predestined us in Christ, in this unity that we have in Christ to all who believe in him. We are connected to him. We have the spirit inside of us. And this great connection that we have here allows us to see where Christ is now and to know that he has been raised from the dead. We will be raised from the dead as well. And the one who represents us has gone on before us. As Hebrews shared, uh, the writer of Hebrews said that, that he is an anchor to our soul, that we are tethered to him, unbreakable rope that is tethered to him. He has gone on. He has been raised. He is seated at the right hand of God. And this very same spirit is inside of us, will raise us up as well. And that's why he says in verse 19 that this, this power is immeasurable. How do you measure something like that? How can you? We have nothing to measure it with. Uh, other, other measurements of power, you know, you can measure electricity. I can measure the strength of a man by laying him on a bench press, handing him weight, and he can lift that weight. And I can say that you are this strong. You can lift 300 pounds. We have this much electricity or this volume of water. We went and looked at the spillway a couple of days ago. 6,340 gallons of water are pouring over that spillway every one second. That's a lot of water, okay? Powerful. My kids were like, wow, it's so amazing just to witness the power of this water. But how do we measure something like this that when we die, that, that we immediately go into the presence of God uh, there's no way of measuring this. And not only go into the presence of God, but we get remade. We get reshaped. We get transformed to be able to be in his full presence. And that we actually get the inheritance of Jesus Christ. We are unified with him. How do you measure something like this? It is truly immeasurable. But this is what we have to rest in. And uh, so just pure pure glory and as we see it saw last week as we see this week god is getting all the glory for all of this that he is doing here for us uh colossians 3 1 through 3 turn with me over there and hold your place in the book of ephesians uh 
But Colossians 3, 1 through 3, one of the first passages I memorized as I was studying the Bible, and just a wonderful passage that, that would really help me stay focused and put things into perspective. But you see this, how it how the writer, uh, how Paul here in Ephesians is mentioning these types of things and how, how in Colossians that they're very, very similar. But in 3, 1 through 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you will also appear with him in glory. And Paul speaks here of this, this again, this unity that we have in Christ. So he says, again, you are just visitors passing through. We recall this from weeks ago. This is not our citizenship. We are Texans or I'm from Arkansas originally or we're citizens of the United States. But this is a temporary citizenship that we have. Our permanent dwelling place is in heaven. And Paul is kind of painting the picture here, since you are with Christ, and since Christ has been raised from the dead, then live your life accordingly. Don't just live for the here and now. Uh, That is called hedonism, where you live for pleasure now, right now, and that's all you care about is getting the most pleasure of every day that you possibly can for yourself. But instead, as we look at here in Ephesians, as we look at here in Colossians, it is live for him because He created you. He made you. You deserve eternity in hell, but He gives you grace. He gives you peace. It's like, wake up. Realize why you've been made. Live for Him. Live for there. Don't just live like this world wants you to live. Anyway, this passage was really important to me as I was a teenager. Still remains important to me. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Reflect on that. Perhaps this week in your own uh, own quiet time as well. well. Let's try to get through uh, through chapter one here, verse twenty one. Far above all rule and authority, let me go back to twenty so it'll kind of go flow together. Sorry, verse twenty that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This passage is kind of the, kind of the end of, of chapter 1, of course, but it is, it is to God be all the glory for our salvation. Where is Christ now? Christ, who is responsible for our salvation, is above all rule, all authority, all dominion, and that we are tethered to him. What can break this bond? What can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? There is absolutely nothing. As Romans 8 says, there's nothing in the past, nothing in the present, no angels, no demons, no height, nor depth. There is absolutely nothing that can separate us from Jesus because there's no greater power that Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead and he ascended to the absolute highest place of authority. In Daniel 7, we see where he goes before the Father and receives all authority, all power, so that there's nothing that can break this bond. And this analogy that Paul uses here, he uses it elsewhere as well, but that we, believers, 
are the body of Christ and that he is the head and that we are connected to him in such a way that it that is truly mind-boggling that we are connected that he is there but yet we are so connected to him that we are guaranteed to be there as well that we are part of the body of Christ and in the end he is not going to be missing an arm and that whether you're an arm your leg whatever part of this body you are that we as the body of Christ will be together with Christ for all of eternity so it's just beautiful to think about that that Christ who has begun the salvation for us we see early in chapter 1 to here at the end we kind of get to see the very end of it all that we are connected to him that he will not lose us he preserves us we are considered the body of Christ there's no authority greater than him and he will not lose any of us at all not one single part of his body will be lost why because our sins have been paid for we have received grace we have received peace and we are now given his righteous life so on this on this sermon i simply titled uh, know who you are and it really is something that we have to remind ourselves continuously of uh, know who you are that your bank account does not um, does not identify who you are um, even being a husband, even being a wife or a child or a grand, these, this does not ultimately identify who you are. Uh, it is not being born in Texas or being an American citizen or these other things. We always think of how other people see us, right? I wonder if they see me like this and we try to dress a certain way, perhaps look a certain way uh, to see how other people. But who are you? You are the body of Christ. You have been uh, put in unity with him. You've been rescued. You've been saved. And that who you are is the possession of Jesus Christ himself. So know who you are, and most importantly, know whose you are. And you are Christ. You are his possession. Let's pray.